We begin with new information tonight, though, on just how long veterans are forced to wait to get medical care. Thanks for choosing us. I'm Steve Irvin. And I'm Katie Rammel. The disturbing results were released just a few hours ago, and they show at least 10% of vets have to wait a month or more to get an appointment at the VA. That's more than twice the number the VA reported last week. And as the truth slowly starts to come out, a Valley veteran says he could have died waiting for help. Sarah Goldenberg has this veteran story in an ABC 15 exclusive. And Sarah, he says the VA turned him away, and the timing was crucial here because he says it was right before he had a heart attack. Right. Well, Jim Gowan says he could have died at the New Gilbert VA clinic if he had waited to be seen by a doctor. Now, he says his wife's quick thinking and care at a private hospital saved his life. A routine trip to the VA clinic in Gilbert. My chest would start hurting, and it was just felt like pressure, just someone would squeeze my chest. Turned into something much more serious for 54-year-old Jim Gowan. My arms felt like they weighed 500 pounds. They were just burning on the inside of my arms. Jim described his symptoms to the nurse. He says she directed him upstairs to a waiting line. He says, well, you should just, you know, just get in your car and drive to VA. He says, the PDX VA will take care of you right away, take you in. Here, you're going to wait three or four hours. And I mean, I can't wait three or four hours. Jim says he heard the same thing several times. So his wife, Jenny, stepped in. I was like, come with me. We're getting in the car. We're going to the hospital right now. We didn't make it to the first light and the heart attack. Everything hit me full blast. And I basically went down. After emergency surgery at Mercy Gilbert, Jim found out just how lucky he was to be alive. It was 99% blocked. I wouldn't have made it. And he says, I would have waited any longer, I would have made it. If they had waited at the clinic or started driving to the Phoenix VA, the Army veteran with 27 years of service has no doubt he wouldn't be here. My concern is they didn't even have courtesy to look at me. All these nurses walking around, all these people in that facility, no one took the time to say, hey, wait a minute, time out. This guy, there's something wrong. Jenny can't even think about the what ifs. We have five children, um, nine grandchildren, and for them to lose their grandpa and their father and for me to lose my husband is just not thinkable. Now the Phoenix VA says it does not talk about specific cases of care out of respect for veterans' privacy. It says outpatient clinics refer patients to the nearest emergency room or to call 911 during medical emergencies. Now the Gallons plan to file a, um, a complaint with the Inspector General and I can tell you, Katie and Steve, that that clinic in Gilbert has just been open for about two months now. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Sarah. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, things are going to get interesting on this program. What you just heard moments ago is a story, a news story done in regards to veterans and the condition of this nation as we have left our comrade in harm's way. Tonight we touch on a very touch uh, excuse me, a very sensitive subject in regards to veterans. Why has America left them in the cold? We visit that subject here in a few moments as we take off here on AJC Radio. Hang on. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Lamont Banks. Joined with joining me tonight is Lisa Stewart, Clint Stewart, Cliff Stewart, excuse me, 
and Dennis Merritt. And tonight, folks, this is a serious topic. And, uh, Dennis, we were talking prior to the program tonight uh, in regards to the, the tragedy, if you will, that faces the nation in regards to our veterans. What is going on in America when homelessness is on a rise and veterans occupy that number, the very freedom that we lay down on uh, at night on our beds, you're going to tell me the veterans of this country don't have a bed to lay on? Something's wrong with that picture, Dennis. Your thoughts? Oh, no doubt. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a shame when you see uh, soldiers out there, uh, at military period, out there without jobs, without employment. Uh, actually, uh, I ran across uh, uh, some uh, soldiers that actually, you know, was living under the bridge. I mean, it, it's just amazing how... Uh, we talk about it, you know, during war crisis and stuff like that, how well we appreciate our soldiers. But once they've done their time and they get out, it seems like America, uh, for, you know, tends to forget about their service to this country. Well, i tell you what, we're going to visit some very uncomfortable territory, if you will, tonight. As we take a look, what is going on in America? Why are our veterans treated like criminals? Why are our veterans who gave their lives? For the purpose of providing freedom and protecting the rights of the American people. Something is terribly wrong, and we're going to dig into that tonight. Tonight we have the privilege of actually having uh, uh, Robin Grant. She'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, she is a marriage and family therapist with almost 20 years of experience. For the last six years, she has worked almost exclusively uh, with military members, veterans, and their families trying to make a difference uh, as well. So we're going to visit all of that. Lisa, can you read the disclaimer for the folks, please? Of course. We are. We just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinion, opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you once again for tuning in and choosing to spend some time with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. We appreciate that. And folks, I'll tell you right now, uh, my father, who has since passed away in 1994, uh, was the uh, the prime example. Excuse me, prime example of what a soldier is. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, folks. Uh, I believe my father would be ashamed of what is going on in this country right now. We also uh, have the privilege tonight joining us in the studio for this important conversation uh, is Norman Bowden. 22 years he served uh, uh, in the service in the in the army. Uh, did two tours in Vietnam, and I'll tell you what, he's 71 years young and doesn't look a day over 50, and uh, we're going to hear from him tonight as well. We're also joined by Eugene Austin, 20 years in the service, one tour in Vietnam. Uh, ladies and uh, folks, we, uh, we salute you folks tonight for what you've done and your contribution yes. to this country, and uh, you're going to have the privilege of meeting these men who fought for freedom, and we're going to dig into that here shortly as we get into uh, America's veterans being left uh uh, in the cold, really, and, and left out there. Uh, and that's just not something that works in America. And I think people should be outraged in what's going on. And we're going to dig into that here shortly. Uh, uh, first off, we are going to go into the um, uh, current news. Uh, Cliff, we had talked prior to the beginning, uh, to the be in the beginning of the show, uh, in regards to the move made by President Obama uh, for solitary confinement ban, part of criminal justice uh, push that he is actually doing. Uh, yes. We're going to be addressing that issue uh, as well. Your thoughts on that, Cliff, uh, as Obama, again, is making waves, but he's doing some good things. Uh, your thoughts on the president's move? 
Well, you you hear all of his uh, those who are against him that say, well, he he's not doing anything. He's a stagnant president, but he continues to come out and ensure uh, justice reform, ensure that the uh, that the prison system is being reformed. And so now he's coming out with this with a uh, you know a new directive to say to ban solitary confinement for juveniles for those that are mentally ill in the federal prison system, and and, yeah. and that that's that's great. And, uh, you know, the, the only thing that, uh, and, and not against him, the only thing that gets me is you go back to Director Samuel's statement when he stood before Congress and said there is no solitary confinement, but now the president has to come out and say we're going to ban it. This, again, shows how Director Samuels failed in his duty to run the Department of Justice, uh, I mean, uh, the Bureau of Prisons under Department of Justice. Yes. And now the president has to come out and say, look, we need to ban these levels of solitary confinement. Uh, how do you say that there is no solitary confinement, but now it needs to be banned? These are the things that we, as every citizen of the U.S., have to, you know, get in the fight and say, we need to ensure that all of this is exposed. And this is a great thing, like I said, that the juveniles and the mentally ill are being pulled out of solitary confinement and given the help that they need. But we need to end solitary confinement across the board for everyone in Britain. And it says further here, I'm going to uh, share a little bit of the, uh, uh, of the, of the story that they, they wrote. As, as it states here, as, pre- as part of President Obama's overall push to overhaul the criminal justice system, uh, and confront racial disparities, he announced late money that he has directed federal prisons to, lo- to no longer use solitary confinement for juveniles and low-level offenders. Uh, in July, he had asked the Justice Department to review the Bureau of Prison use, as you said, Cliff, uh, of solitary confinement, and in its resulting report outlined 50 guiding principles uh, that would limit federal prison system practice of isolating certain prisoners from the rest of inmate population. Uh, goes further to say that pr- President Obama adopted some of those recommendations, which include expanding mental health, um, uh, units uh, for inmates with serious mental illness to support the effort. He is also uh, also plans to ask Congress uh, for $24 million in his final budget request. Awards are also being directed, among other things, to expand the time inmates have out of their cells so they have more opportunities for re- rehabilitation and reentry. Uh, reentry, excuse me, states here that the changes could affect as many as 10,000 federal inmates, which represents only a tenth of the prisoner popula- population held in solitary confinement across the country, and could also save a lot of money, according to a uh, 2012 press release from Senator Dick Durbin uh, of Illinois. He, uh, it could cost 60000 a year to house a prisoner in solitary confinement, compared to an average uh, of $22,000 for inmates in other prisons. Now, I think, Cliff, if I'm reading this correctly, the president is not only addressing juvenile uh, uh, facilities, this expands to the federal system, uh, the federal prisons uh, for adults is what it sounds like. It says uh, uh, no longer use solitary confinement for juveniles and low-level offenders. So right. it sounds like a, a two a twofold thing here, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it uh, it addresses uh, those those two issues, and also like I said earlier, you know the mentally ill, those who need uh, you know help need help for a psychological issues. And and what it said is that an op-ed published Monday by the Washington Post. Announcing the policy change, the president said that solitary confinement presents, prevents people from getting a second chance. And uh, he quoted, research suggests that solitary confinement has the potential to lead to devastating, lasting psychological consequences. It has been linked to depression, alienation, withdrawal, a reduced ability to interact with others, and the potential for violent behavior. He said, so he's laying out what 
you know, doctors have said about solitary confinement and the, the harm that it does to the people who are subjected to it. And that does not make for a uh, for a decent or possible transition for those who come out of solitary And Cliff, you know, when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, he's, he's banded. I, 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 I believe in our president. I think he's doing everything that he can do. I think he's working hard. He's trying to make things better. He's on his way out, and he's doing, trying to do a lot of good things on his way. And I'm glad that he's made this step. My only concern is that that should be across the board for every yes. prisoner. Nobody should be in solitary confinement. They're talking about he's, he's, he's aware of the fact that it has psychological effects. It causes all these problems, makes people more violent, has, makes them have all these different issues. They're depressed. They're having a hard time readjusting, going back into society. If you know that's a problem and we claim that we're trying to rehabilitate these people so that they can go back into society and be productive members of, of, our, of our society, then why continue to put anyone in solitary confinement? It needs to be banned across the board. And, Lisa, it looks like he is addressing that as well, uh, that not only for juveniles but also low-level offenders. Right. Uh, I think he's, that's including the federal population. Uh, and my, my, I agree, Dennis, uh, I mean, I agree totally with that as well. Uh, and it says here that President Obama, something must have happened uh, to the president because this is really something that's a heartfelt issue to him. It states here, according uh, uh, to the to the White House, uh, the president likely isn't stopping here. He is hinted on at continuing this work after he leaves office next January. At a Baton Rouge town hall earlier this month, he was asked what he and First Lady Michelle Obama plan to do after leaving the White House. He stated, I will continue to work on the things that Michelle and I care so deeply about. Uh, so it sounds like to me, uh, excuse me, and he goes further to say, we want to make sure that our criminal justice system works the way that it should. Uh, this is something that he, as, as the president and as former president, uh, and that's January, says we will continue. Because guess what? Injustice in this country will affect his daughters. Exactly. It affects the future generations of this country. Yes. This is why the president is involved. Because my daughters will be affected. If, if the wrongfully convicted continue to go to prison, his daughter could go. Someone else could go. That's why this fight against injustice is not single, sing, single uh, it's not a singular issue. It is an issue that affects all of us uh, in this country. So uh, we salute the president for doing that, for saying the things that he is saying. Uh, you can, folks, you can uh, find fault with them all day long, but I tell you what, President Obama continues to step out and to go against the odds and make a difference uh, in this nation. And I think that's something, uh, Dennis, we should all applaud. Your thoughts? I agree with you. I agree with you 100 uh, percent. And now in light of the, you know, uh, the, the massive exonerations, you know, uh, you're finding out that a lot of people are in prison that shouldn't be in prison. And, and then to, you know. Uh, you know, put them in solitary confinement. Uh, it's bad enough that they're innocent and in prison. Absolutely. And, and now, you know, you got this solitary confinement. But I, I, I applaud him. I think it's great. I think it needs to be done. And I think America is finally seeing that uh, we got to make some changes to our justice. Changes, changes have to come. And uh, and those some of those changes, we have some of our our veterans sitting in prison. Raises a lot of questions, should they be there? Right. Uh, when you hear this show tonight and the things that we have researched regarding the mistreatment of our veterans, it is disgraceful. It's something that just should not happen. They treat veterans as dogs. Exactly. Matter of fact, let's change that. Some dogs get treated better than our veterans do. 
fight every day. And there, I'm telling you what, and you, you know, Hollywood is Hollywood, but I'll tell you, uh, Cliff, we had talked a little bit about uh, the movie American Sniper. Is that the name of the movie we were sharing, talking about a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I shared with you. I, is it American Sniper? That's the Hollywood uh, movie that's out there that I've been that's been confirmed with uh, our staff here. And I'll tell you what, um, I've never seen a war zone so real. And there were people talking about that. That that's exactly how I've never seen so much gunfire. Heard so much gunfire. Seen people die. So and again. It is a production of reality, right. is what it is. And when you see that, every moment of every day in a war zone, man, you're, lo- you're looking, you could be dead within the next step. And True. we say to our veterans who, who have fought for the freedom that we lay down under every night, this is how we thank you. There should be not one homeless veteran not one. in America. That's right. Not one. That's just insanity to me. There was a, and you'll hear this as the show goes further because we're going to get into that here momentarily on the other side of this break. But I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, something is terribly wrong when a, when a soldier comes home and can't even get food stamps to eat. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's crazy. Without the freedom that they fight for, we don't sit at our kitchen table and eat dinner. That's right. That's, that's the reality of it. But to, to say I can't even get food stamps, automatically you should have food, uh, food. You should have a place to lay your head, you and your family. You should have a job. Exactly. What is wrong with this country? Veterans, soldiers, warriors, leaders left in America's street to fend for themselves is a disgrace and should not be going on. Cliff, uh, it should not be going on in this country. Your thoughts on that, Cliff? Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I I have talked to several veterans and, you know, given them my thoughts. And, you know, I, I go a little farther. I say, hey, every veteran, if you spent time in the military, I think your taxes when you get out should be forgiven. I think if you went there to the war zone that America should buy you a house and a car. That's right. Uh, you know, because when you really look at what veterans go through, they are laying down their life. And to go to a war zone and then come back, and I mean, you know, we got uh, Norman and Eugene here from during the Vietnam area. When they came back, the way that they were treated was so cruel. And and as you look at that and realize that, you say, what kind of country, who are we as Americans, that this is who this is how we treat the people who lay down their lives. So it's a... Uh, it's a very sad situation. I think there are so many things that need to be fixed in yep. the veteran uh, system. And then not to, not to even mention the VA scandal in this country. Uh, veterans dying on hospital beds. Uh, sick, dying, waiting for claims to be approved by the VA system of this country. And you're going to hear tonight, I uh, listened to a news clip, and the lady said, by the time I went through the file and got to their names, the majority of them had died. Are you kidding me? Dead on arrival from coming from war, uh, we have a problem. And that problem continues to be the issue in, in, in America. So we need to actually figure that out, see what's going on, and continue to look at what's, at what's happening here in the United States of America. And folks, uh, make no mistake about it, AJC Radio will ask the tough questions tonight. As we continue to search for answers, as America stands on the and at the crossroad of decision, 
regarding our veterans. It's time that we wake up. Ladies and gentlemen, right now it is 47 degrees in New York City. In our nation's capital, I'm sure they'll be happy to hear this. 54 degrees and cloudy and 37 right here in Colorado Springs and 69 in Los Angeles. Folks, we are getting ready to take off. Regardless of where you are in, across the country tonight, the temperature is getting ready to rise as we dig into America's mistreatment of our veterans. Hang on to your seats, folks. Call your neighbors. Grab a cup of coffee, some cappuccino, whatever you like. We're taking off here on the other side of this break. Where are American veterans as they lay in America's street in harm's way? We're coming right back at you here on AJC Radio. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. Hi, I'm an actor, and that qualifies me to talk to you about social issues. And even though my opinion is controversial, I believe that racism is wrong. Now today, what I would like you to do is take a look at your skin color and hug somebody that has a different color skin. We can stop racism together one hug at a time. Definitely ask permission before you hug somebody. Thank you. To all members of Congress, we have some good news. There are a few things catching fire on Capitol Hill. What is that? It is called Spotlight on Capitol Hill where AJC Radio, every Thursday evening from 8 to 10 p.m., we highlight the accomplishments, the efforts, and the hard work of our elected officials, and we do that on both sides of the aisle. Tonight, take a look as we visit the road and the journey and the vision of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. AJC Radio and our team extend a personal invitation to all the members of Congress to be a part of this dynamic initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We welcome you, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever you might be, we join together to bring to the attention of the American people the positive things that our elected officials are doing on Capitol Hill 
Tonight, AJC Radio salutes you, and we extend that invitation to all the members of Congress as we continue to shine the light called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It's just going to get better from here. Let's get on board. I've been treated the last few years very nice, but it took the United States District Attorney to stop all the stuff that they were doing to me. Vietnam veteran Bill Wentzel lives in Medford. Six years ago, he says he had a combination of issues between veterans facilities in Roseburg and White City. It was torment. Uh, I do believe a lot that they were trying to get me to commit suicide the way they were treating me because I was, uh, I had suicidal thoughts as it was, and that's what I was treated for, for, the, for the, uh, with Prozac. Wenzel says one staff member antagonized him and tried to get Wenzel to punch him. He says that staff member was later relieved of his duties. He also says some doctors classified him as an alcoholic, but he says he doesn't keep alcohol in his house and rarely drinks. Wenzel also says staff required him to report to the police department and be escorted before his doctor's appointments. For a while I was escorted. They decided that I was a, uh, uh, um, a dangerous person and I hadn't done anything. Last year, another Vietnam veteran in Grants Pass developed periodontal or gum disease. He lives on Social Security and disability and was concerned with the cost of dental work. He says the Veterans Hospital in Roseburg told him they could not help him and only active military get dental coverage. His teeth started falling out, so he went to a private dentist and the work cost him $7,000. He says he feels like the veteran facilities treat veterans like children, putting their parents in a rest home once they reach 60 years old. As Memorial Day approaches, Wenzel hopes all veterans receive appreciation and support for serving their country. I agree. They should be. It's, uh, they're the people who gave their best when needed. Covering your news, Aaron Nelson, News 10. Thank you. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. Um, you listen to that tonight, uh, the veteran here uh, denied uh, dental uh, care, um, said they couldn't help him because he was not active duty. Um, he was active duty for 20 plus years. I mean, what? He has to be escorted to his doctor's appointments by police. He had to go to the police station, check in with them and, and be escorted? Well, doesn't what in the world doesn't being a veteran mean Something. that you're no longer active duty? You did service in the military. When you're active duty, you're a active member of the military. When you get out of the military, you're a veteran. Is that is that? I mean, the VA serves those who were active and now are retired or out of the military as a veteran. So, how do they make the statement? We only serve you as active duty. Uh, you got to understand with the Veterans uh, Administration uh, is, you know, getting uh, assistance is not automatic. Let and that's put it like that. And it's that's not, disgraceful. It's very disgraceful. It's not automatic. Uh, that's that that veteran. Once he gets out in order to get any type of uh, 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 support, he has to prove, you know, how much time he served or she served. They also have to. Uh, get you know pretty much you know they have to get rated on on their on their disabilities and then that tells you how much veteran care you'll get. 
So it's not all about, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, a veteran gets out, he's immediately taken care of. That's not true. If that veteran, and we have a lot of proud veterans that believe they serve this country and they serve the country for one reason only, and that was to protect it. So they're not looking for any kickbacks. They're not looking for any handouts. So when they get out, they're, they're not looking for that. But then life, they start feeling the injuries and, and all the things that took toll, toll on their bodies as, the, as being in the military. And that's when they start reaching out for help. But I'm a, I can wow. honestly say that if you ask the older veterans, well, they'll tell you they're waiting for me to die. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm saddened tonight, and uh, as we wait uh, for the opportunity uh, for the uh, young lady, Robin Grant, doing what her, what she can to bring a change to our veteran system, I'm going to bring in right now Norman Bowden and uh, Eugene Austin, uh, two former veter- two veterans, excuse me, uh, who served this country proudly. And Norman, this first question goes to you. You served 22 years. Uh, for this country, for the freedoms that uh, all of us that sit in this studio tonight share, those freedoms that you provided as your service to the country. And when you hear what you're hearing tonight, Norman, what does that do to you as a, as a, as a proud soldier that fought for this country? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I really think it's outrageous. Um, I serve not only to make a living for my family, but first of all, for my country. Uh, and some of the things I was listening to earlier about um, getting treatment, uh, being treated properly, uh, I was told when I actually signed up with the VA that all of my medical would be taken care of. That's mm-hmm. not true. They failed to say that if you had an injury while you was in, then you could be treated. They also failed to say that uh, if you was honorably discharged, then you are, as you say, a, a veteran. You know, but to me, if you served, right, you're a veteran. Period. Whether you was honorably discharged or not, you're still a veteran, and you should be treated that way. And that's not happening in this country. I can personally say that I've actually been to the VA and was not treated properly. Uh, just a couple of months ago, I went with an injury at the VA hospital uh, in Denver and was told that there was nothing they could do. That the very next day, I had to seek civilian help because I was in so much pain. Got taken care of with no problem. Well, my question is, well, what do you have a VA hospital up for? I mean, if I can't go into a VA hospital and get treatment uh, because I'm not a veteran. Eugene, your thoughts on uh, what Norman alluded to? Well, I agree with Norman because I've gone to the VA because I had dental problems because I spent a lot of time in in Asia, and I think... Just from drinking the water over there, oh, wow. and and I was, and the sky was my canopy. I stayed in the field, but when I got back, they didn't treat me right, and I didn't think that they treated me like they should have, because I don't know the, the military. I just uh, well not the military, but the, the VA. The thing is, I had to go also like Norma said. I had to go to a civilian doctor and get uh, proper medical treatment. I stopped going to the VA. Because they always was putting me off. That, that, is, that, is, that is just uncomprehendable, folks. And, 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 and Norman, Eugene, stand by with us tonight. Uh, we're going to definitely get back to uh, some of those things and share some of your stories of what you've endured 
uh, after uh, getting out the service, but I think that's absolutely disgraceful. America needs to wake up on that fact. Uh, right now, what we're going to do is bring in Robin Grant. Uh, she is currently um, uh, working uh, actually exclusively with military families, members, veterans, and their families. Uh, she has worked with the Soldiers Project since 2010, uh, and she is doing her best. Uh, to make a difference in the lives of veterans and their families. We are honored to have her on this program tonight as we pick her brain of what she has seen across the, along the way uh, with, with what's going on in America with our veterans. Uh, Robin, how are you this evening? I'm fine, sir. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you so much for taking time tonight to join us. Uh, we are honored to have you. Uh, and I'm going to just uh, give the floor to you, and you can introduce yourself to our folks and Kind of going to uh, what what's going on in America with our veterans? Uh, we have a serious crisis, if you will, uh, in this country right now, and we would love to hear from you and our listeners. So I give you the floor to introduce yourself and explain to the American people what you are doing to try to make a difference. Okay, absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So what I do, I am a therapist, and I also work uh, doing some training with therapists who want to work with us. And really what we do is hope to fill a part of that gap that is uh, that the gentlemen were talking about that is left by VA care because there are so many veterans who are not eligible to receive services. And our, our services um, in particular are, are mental health. So you can imagine, you know, we do deal uh, a lot with PTSD, um, whether it's combat-related or non-combat-related, um, and military sexual trauma, which is actually a subset of PTSD. Uh, so we are seeing people who might not otherwise get help, even though they have sought it, or might not want to seek out help because of the stigma attached to going into uh, a government building uh, with our therapists. They are uh, the people who are being served are seeing the therapist in a, a private office setting, so they don't have that that problem of you know walking into a veterans building, a VA building, or a vet center building. So you know that's that's really what we try to do. We also see family members, and we see people regardless of discharge status. And and I heard you guys talking earlier, you know how um, how horrible it is, and I absolutely agree with you that. You know, something like discharge status, and that's not the only thing. There are a whole host of other items that, you know, might happen to someone in the military that might preclude them from getting the services that they need. Um, you know, long wait times, of course, even if you are eligible, and um, families that need help that might not be able to get the help either at the VA or at the vet centers because vet centers will see families, but only if the veteran is willing to come in, and, and sometimes, as we've just been talking, um, not everybody is, is ready. You know, eventually, I think a lot of people do seek help, but initially a family may be struggling, and if the veteran in their family is not um, ready to come in for treatment, then they can't get treatment either. So we try to fill that gap as well. Yeah, and, and Robin, I think the, the very um, troubling thing to me is that you have veterans that are injured, they are mentally, uh, whatever, like, again, the post-stress, uh, uh, PS, PTSD, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I was trying to, I didn't want to get the words off on that, but uh, the, the, <laughs> the mindset that, that these soldiers are going through, just the adjustment mm -hmm. of coming home and to have to struggle to go to a facility 
where they're, they're, they're leery, if you will, of going to a facility, a government facility that is supposed to have their back. Right. That is something that is just uncomprehendable to me. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things. What, if you can, Robin, share with our audience is the statistics, best as you know them, of the success. Um, statistics maybe. related to, to numbers and in treatment? Yes. Or, yeah. Um, gosh, I don't have that in front of me, but, of course, it's, it's thousands, and thousands that are awaiting treatment, and that's where the real problem is, is that, you know, the, the numbers of people that are waiting to get treatment and either never receive treatment or I guess one of the really difficult things that I'd like to bring up um, is the way that sometimes medications are just um, thrown at, at these veterans uh, rather than getting some therapy either in lieu of or in addition to uh, this treatment. So I've, I've worked with people and I've talked to people who um, were just given bags full of prescriptions and said, you know, just go home and take these, and, and that was the treatment that they received. I've, I've worked with people in my own office um, who were still active duty, because we do see active duty as well as veterans, and very concerned about their careers and, and you know, whether they want to say it or not in the military, rightfully so. Um, and still, medication was being pushed on them when they did not want to take medication because, let's be honest, that's that's a lot easier and a lot more time efficient than getting no, therapy. I, no, and I understand that. And that, that's the really sad thing about that is we know the problem in this country with prescription drugs. Uh, mm -hmm. The People have died uh, being addicted to those drugs, overdosing on those drugs. And then when you, when you throw in the psychological challenges, that these that these veterans are facing, uh, it seems very difficult that you put a formula of failure when yeah, you throw medication. Yeah. And then how depressed are they? Well, they say, you know what, I took two pills, I want to take two more. That, that's uncomprehendable to me. Yeah, and, and, you know, in addition to the medications that are being prescribed, and we all know, as you said, about the dangers of addiction to prescription drugs, a lot of these folks are self-medicating as well. So you put alcohol into that mix along with, um, for many people, trying to recapture that, that combat high, um, you know, that rush that they get in combat. Um, you put all that together so you've got people riding fast motorcycles who are drinking and have drugs that the government has given them. So talk about a recipe for disaster. That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty scary. That, that is yeah. very scary. Go ahead, Dennis. And then, uh, Robin, as you was talking, I was thinking about how you know I'm 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 a uh, disabled vet, and uh, what, what's weird? What uh, I guess a lot of uh, people don't understand when it comes to veterans and medication. If you don't take the medication, if you tell them I don't want it, then you just refuse treatment. And right. by you refusing treatment, you just set yourself, you put yourself in a position. To not receive the, uh, you know, the compensation uh, for your care, and 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 they do that quickly. They'll say, "Hey, we 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 gave the uh, the uh, the veteran medication. He refused it. Uh, we can't help him if he don't want to if he don't want to take the medication. And like you said, sometimes medication is not is is not really what's needed. Maybe it's no. just therapy. Yeah. No, I, I worked, and I'll try to make this short, but it, I think it's a good demonstration of how people can be over-medicated. Uh, one of my first clients that I worked with through the Soldiers Project had been in a terrible accident, and he had a um, 
a pump implanted, a pain medication pump implanted in his stomach to help him deal with that pain. And when I met him, he had extremely slurred speech, uh, somewhat of an impaired gait, and he and I and his wife all thought that was due to the brain injury that he had received in the accident, when in fact he had that pump removed before he left, and it was the medication. The last time I saw him, he was getting ready to move to another city, so it was our last session, and they had removed the um, morphine pump, and his speech improved, his gait was normal, and how that wasn't being monitored more carefully is just beyond me, but it was it was an extreme case of what we're talking about, but, but terrible, just a terrible well, thing. I'll, I'll tell you what, Robin, you know, as, as I hear you tell that, America should be ashamed of themselves, that the lack of order and responsibility and care that should be given and provided for all Americans, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but especially to our veterans. Right. How, how, this is just something has to be done. It starts all the way at the top. Congress needs to get involved, and Congress, I can tell you right now, we're outraged mm -hmm. uh, with, with the VA situation that we had talked about early on this program, and it was something that that really begins to trouble you. And, I, and we had talked earlier, uh, Robin, and uh, we had talked a little bit about the homeless situation um, with veterans. Right. I, Terrible I problem. simply cannot believe that. Uh, do you come in contact uh, with, with homeless veterans as well? You know, in, in my role as a therapist, not so much because think about how a person would get involved, and that's another problem, obviously. How would a person seek out therapy? Well, you know, you, you call in or you go online, and those, those options are not available to you if you're homeless. So from the get-go, you're deprived of some of those options. And, you know, it, I mean, it's sad to say, but how would someone even know about these services? It's, it's really hard to get the word out to people that services are available, that they don't have to go through the VA, that there are other options, even to people who have telephones, who have Internet. But if you're, if you're sleeping on the sidewalk and you don't have access to those things, how are you even going to know, let alone seek out those services? So that's, that's, a, that's a huge shortcoming. You know, in addition to the fact that the person is sleeping on the street, um, just the fact that it's very hard for them to get any kinds of services. Okay, and and wow, Robin, your your information is is definitely uh, informative. Uh, I'm going to play a clip right now of some information in regards to American veterans discarded and forgotten. We're going to get your thoughts on the other side of this clip. very important. It should be required viewing. It's a work of art. A beautiful, beautiful piece of work. Um, it's nice to hear the truth being told for once in America. Very moving and very scary, beautiful film. Everybody should see it. I think this film was very eye-opening. I thought it was uh, thought-provoking and uh, inspirational. I feel really dear to the veterans. I'm shocked and saddened that with the treatment of our veterans. Totally disheartened. It was very disturbing. Totally devastated by this. Very pro uh, proactive and uh, provocative movie. I'm really disturbed by it. Absolutely shocking information. It's a visual alarm clock. It was a very powerful and informative film, and um, it, it is a travesty. After the first Gulf War, thousands of American soldiers returned from Iraq 
complaining of a variety of troubling symptoms. Within a couple of days of getting there, everybody was sick. The skin on my feet and in my toes, they were cracking and bleeding. Severe body pains all throughout my body. They can't seem to give me a direct answer on what my problem is. We have reason to believe that some of these illnesses may be the result of exposure to chemical and biological agents in that region. The Pentagon refused our interview request and also refused to answer our written questions. The department embarked on a public relations campaign to confound and confuse scientists, veterans, Congress, and the public at large. DOD knew dusty agents would make our chemical suits totally and utterly useless. They weren't told that they were chemical weapons storage sites. They were just told they were ammunition depots, and they blew up those depots. And there you have it, uh, Robin, as we were talking earlier, uh, in regards to the homelessness. There was, this was in regards to a production that had been done, uh, a film, if you will, uh, that's addressing the issue of homelessness among our veterans. And the people left the theater shocked, numb, uh, without words, saddened. Uh, and these type of productions are things that have to be put out to the American people. These are the things that cause the American people and our veterans to become outraged. Veterans have to speak out. Veterans have to come out and say, you know what, we are not accepting this because we did one thing and we fought for this country. And every day you get up, those veterans, every day they got up. My father was a, was a soldier uh, and, a, and, and a very good soldier, uh, you know, and I was told stories by my mother how he would get up. Uh, you know, sometimes there was he had to go two, three in the morning. Uh, but my dad's boots were shined to perfection, and he believed in the purpose of what he was doing. And uh, Norman... Uh, I'll, this question goes to you, and Robin, I'll let you also uh, chime in as well. Norman, the pride that you got up every morning with, uh, to get up early in the morning, have to leave your family, have to leave your children, and go do what you took an oath to do, and that is to protect the United States of America. Uh, at that, how, how good of a feeling was it then versus what we see right now? Oh, in my day, I said it was exceptional. I don't see that today. And I spent a lot of time going out uh, to the base talking to soldiers, but there's no pride anymore. When I was in, and I've been out for 30 years now, but when I was in, I mean, there was, lot, there was pride. It was a big thing. I mean, your, your fatigues was creased to the max. You, you would have thought you was going on a corporate job or something. But right? you went that way every day, regardless of if you was going to the motor pool to work on a truck or your track. It didn't matter. The pride. That was the wow. biggest thing. Wow. And Eugene, your thoughts on that before we get Robin's take? Well, I enjoyed being in the military because, I don't know, it just uh, was just something about me that I wanted to give back to America because this is my country, and I wanted to support the country as much as possible. And regardless, I have to give my life to my country. But when I got up in the morning, I made sure that my boots were always highly polished, uh, spit shine, creases in, in, in my fatigues, good haircut, and always look like a soldier and maintain professionalism and set the example of my soldiers. Well, wow. And, Robin, when you hear those those veterans speak about the pride, all that came, was involved uh, with that, uh, how different is that from the soldiers that come into your office? I would presume they come in as wounded. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, it's very different. As I, as I said, I see some that are active duty, um, a lot of veterans, and there, there's just a lot of disillusionment, you know, even those that were gung-ho for a better phrase, you know, there for all the right reasons and really joined because they wanted to serve their country and were ready to give up everything, as they say, up to and including their lives. Um, when they're treated so poorly or they see others, their brothers and sisters treated so poorly, they become very disillusioned, and I think a lot of that, that sense of pride um, disappears. The young man I, I mentioned to you earlier um, that had the pain pump, he was, one of, he was a special forces person, and he was really proud. He struggled with the things that he, he did and he saw, but he was very proud to have served his country. But when he received the treatment that he, he did at the VA, to him he said that was worse than any family betrayal that had ever happened because that was his family. You know, the military was his family, and he felt completely betrayed by them. That is uncomprehendable and so saddening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I presume it's a type of brotherhood. Oh, uh, my gosh, stronger than anything. That's really, I mean, it's not the topic so much, but just a little aside, that's really a struggle for a lot of the spouses because whether it's a male or a female spouse, mostly female, they they have a hard time understanding that bond, and it is a, a it is a bond beyond I don't want to say beyond any family bond, but it's extreme. And the the veterans really struggle with their loyalties to you know to their families, to their children, to their spouses, and that that loyalty they feel to their brothers and sisters in arms. It's it's really it's it's a tough one. Well, I'll tell you what, and, 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 and we were talking earlier, and we're going to get into this on the other side of this break. Uh, Robin, how much time do you have to stay with us tonight? Oh, I'm fine, whatever you need. We appreciate you so much for that. Our uh, honorary guest in our studio tonight, Eugene Austin, Norman Bowden, uh, 22 years. Norman served in the military uh, 20 years. Uh, Eugene did. We salute you again tonight as we honor these two men who give their perspective on America's comrades, our veterans, left in harm's way. We're coming back on the other side of the break as we continue this discussion. We'll be right back. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? 
The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Victims aren't chalk outlines. Victims don't just hang out in the bad part of town. Victims aren't asking for it. Victims shouldn't have known better. We are mothers, daughters, neighbors. We are brothers. Corporate citizens, business owners, homeowners, robbed, sexually assaulted, attacked, workplace violence, assaulted. I didn't think. I didn't think it would happen. I didn't think it would happen to me. I didn't think it could happen to me. Anyone can become a victim when criminals are still on the streets, but we can all make a difference. Let's make our communities safer. Let's look out for each other. Let's be vigilant. Let's report suspicious activities. Criminals are still out there. What you know could stop a criminal from turning an innocent person into a victim. Like me. Like me. Like me. Like you. This Crime Stoppers reenactment is brought to you with financial assistance from the Department Department of Canada. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. I am Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt. Joining us in studio tonight, Norman Bowden, a veteran, uh, an honorary veteran, if you will, that's done a lot for this nation, and he gives his perspective tonight, along with Eugene Austin, 20 years in the service, uh, and Norman served two tours in Vietnam. Uh, He is 71 years young, and I said earlier, doesn't look a day over 50. Eugene is in his Sunday's best. And, folks, we're just getting started here as we continue to deal with a very important issue. And what is that issue? Our veterans dealing with situations, with struggles, with homelessness, with unemployment, uh, you name it, struggles that our veterans should not be dealing with. And we also have the privilege tonight uh, of having an honor to have Robin Grant, a young lady that is a, uh, a therapist, does a lot of things for veterans and families and doing her best to make a change and to help the reentry, if you will, uh, of our veterans back into America. And, Robin, thank you so much, and welcome back to the program. Thank you. Okay, and we're going to go a little further. Uh, Robin, if you can, uh, I'd like to know, and our listeners, uh, to let our listeners know, what what drove you or what passion, if you will, actually got you started into doing what you're doing? Was it, a, was it an awakening in the middle of the night that you needed to help veterans? What got you on the path that you're on that is making such a difference in helping our veterans? Um, well, uh, when I started my practice up here in Ventura, I'm, I'm from L.A., so it was pretty recent. Um, we're near um, some 
bases up here, a couple of Navy bases and an airlift wing. And I just started to realize how many veterans and active duty military there were in the area. And I heard about the Soldiers Project. And um, I went to a couple of talks from them. And I guess the biggest driving factor for me is I'm of the age of some of your other um, guests. And my first husband was a Vietnam veteran as well. He was a corpsman. Uh, so that is like a, that's a Navy medic, and he was with the Marines in Vietnam. And they have a saying that, you know, you come home, but you're not all the way home. Well, that very accurately described my first husband. Um, suffered terribly and, and still does. And it, it, I just, I agree with the founder of the Soldiers Project that that should not happen to another generation of our military. So that was really the, the biggest, the biggest factor was not just the fact that the folks were here, but I saw such a great need um, in my generation and knew that that would happen again if um, these issues weren't dealt with. And unfortunately, they're, they're not being dealt with as effectively as they could be. But I think there is more attention being played, paid to mental health than there certainly was um, back in my day. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. uh, the mission statement for the Soldiers Project, to our listeners that may not be aware, uh, the Soldiers Project is committed to providing a safety net of psychological care for military service members and their loved ones, as well as educating the general public on how the psychological consequences of war affect not only those who serve, but also their loved ones at home and in our communities. Uh, they provide free, confidential, professional psycho psych excuse me, psychological counseling services to those who have served in our nation's military after September 11, 2001. And uh, it says here, I'm going to read this a little bit further, the philosophy is the Soldiers Project has been providing psychotherapy for post-9-11 veterans and their loved ones for more than 10 years uh, and, and have, actually helping the healing process. And, and, Robin, we salute you tonight on AJC Radio, and I'll tell you, you have a, an ally, if you will, um, here at AJC Radio as we together uh, can get the message out of what you're doing. I think it is, is definitely something that to, is to be admired uh, as, as you take the steps and, and your husband being a veteran, um, uh, your former husband being a, uh, a veteran, uh, doing those things that you are doing is just is over the top. Dennis, your thoughts on, on Robin's work? Oh, I, I, I think it's awesome. I think uh, uh, every city uh, needs to have a program that, that really reaches out to our veterans. Because uh, uh, I, I met a vet, uh, a young soldier got out uh, and couldn't find employment no matter how he looked. And it was sad to say, you know, my advice to him was to call the uh, suicide hotline. I mean, you know, and that's kind of sad, but that was that was the only way that I could think of to get him immediate help because he needed help at that time because he, he had a child, he was homeless now, uh, and he couldn't find employment, and no matter where he went, no one would hire him. So, you know, so I, I gave that to him. But I'm telling you, I really would like to say thank you because you're doing a good work. Well, yeah, thank right. you, and, and I appreciate that, but I have to tell you, and I'm not just just blowing smoke, um, it's so rewarding, and when I first started doing this, you know, in our trainings, they said, you know, you'll get back so much more than you give, and it's really true for um, these veterans and active duty folks to take you into their confidence and, and tell you their stories and, and trust you enough that you can hold that information and hang in there with them, it's, it's really an honor, it's an honor. Oh, absolutely. And uh, as we 
talk about this, Robin, and we, we, we say all the time on agency radio, it's about the information information being given to Americans, uh, to different advocacy groups that are fighting, such as you are, to do what you do, as your contribution uh, is to make a difference. Um, have you reached out to any members of Congress, as far as on a national level, uh, that support uh, the Soldiers Project? Is that something that you guys are looking into? Uh, well, yes, as, as absolutely. Well? And we actually have a great ally in our Congresswoman, Julia Brownlee. She's done a lot of work for veterans, and she has actually in her office um, I attend a, a military collaborative meeting once a month here in Ventura, and we always have representatives from Congresswoman's office. And she has helped um, some of my clients actually get their benefits, she personally and her office staff, because, as you guys know, it's very common to be turned down initially when you file, and it can become so frustrating, and people give up. And I think maybe that's part of what they count on is people giving up. And she was very instrumental in in helping um, my clients to get them the benefits that they so rightly deserved. Oh yeah, and that's 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 awesome because we got to get every you know all our our, our leaders. I mean that's the biggest thing. Uh, we got to come up come up with a exit strategy for our, our, our military. Uh, I don't think we have one. Uh, it's get out and good luck. Uh, go for it. Uh, yeah. you know, if it wasn't for the older vets telling them their experiences, uh, some of the young veterans right now wouldn't know what to do. Yep, that's yeah. absolutely true. That's that's really important to have those mentors um, because you know I've been pretty fortunate. I feel that I've I've been accepted by my clients, but for some for some people, it really is of the utmost importance to them that somebody who's somebody has walked the walk. You know, in order for them to take them into their confidence and really trust them and listen to their mentoring, so that's an extremely important um, part of this. And, and Robin, you just used the slogan I use on this program, and uh, uh, that makes us family now. Okay. Uh, you okay. Have to walk, you have to walk the walk, folks. <laughs> talk, yep. talk, get it done, does it? Um, mm. But I will tell you, Robin, there is uh, here in Colorado Springs a local church, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Uh, actually takes the step in recognizing and honoring veterans on every first Sunday uh, at, the, at their church. And they, they have the veterans lined up. And, Lisa, you can speak to this, uh, how appreciative the veterans feel. Uh, Pastor Rose Banks, actually, we don't want to leave her name out, uh, who is the initiator, if you will, of implementing this type of community. Lisa, tell the folks a little bit about First Sunday uh, and honoring those veterans, and let Robin know, and uh, along with the American people as well. Yeah, Robin. Well, at that at the church, what we do every first Sunday, we uh, we recognize all of all the veterans that are coming into the service on that day, and we go out, we go to the military bases, and we invite people all over the city, get them to come because people aren't recognizing what they do. And uh, with uh, with my father being, uh, he was a, he was a veteran. He retired after what was it 21 years of service, 21, 22 years of service. And she, it was always something he loved what he did, and so it's always been something that's been passionate, that my mother's been passionate about. It's always something that's been very important to her. And she knows that our the, our veterans are not always, they're not always remembered. They're not always treated right. And so she makes it a point to always reach out to them and to honor them. And each one of them is called up front, and they're given certificates. They're giving gift certificates. They're giving different things just to say, hey, we want to say thank you for the work that you've done, for the for the fact that you've given your life. Uh, right. And the the reaction that we've gotten from these people is just it's uncomprehendable. The appreciation. I mean, we have people in tears. We have people 
coming saying nobody nobody does this nobody wants to recognize what we what we're doing nobody nobody cares and it makes them feel so good that somebody's showing that they care but people aren't doing it anymore and the just to add to that you know to see uh some of the veterans that come in during that during that uh time and are being honored to hear the ones that come in and say you know right now i'm homeless i don't have any place to stay you know i don't really know uh, what I'm going to do, and and you know, Colorado Springs Fellowship, as as Lisa just explained, really loves veterans. So the church reaches out, and uh, you know, have put some of them up, uh, you know, in a, in apartments or hotels or whatever. But it is so heart wrenching to see a person who put their life on the line, and then to say, I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. I'm at the shelter. They're about to put me out, and I'll be on the street. That. I mean, I've never spent any time in the military, but my dad did, three of my brothers, and it just, it cuts to the core of who you are to say, this is what, this is how we repay what our veterans did. It just, it wow. it, it, it leaves you speechless and and hurt, but to know that people like you out, are out there, Robin, it, it really, uh, you know, warms the heart, and we appreciate everything that you do for our veterans. Thank you. I appreciate what you guys are doing just by having this this show tonight and everything that the church is doing. That's that's wonderful. You know, I think sometimes people in uniform are shown that appreciation. People say thank you for your service, but once they're out of that uniform, they sort of become invisible. Right. And I, I think that's very sad. And Robin, I think what it proves is that everybody can do something. Uh, I find myself. I don't care if I'm in Walgreens, Walmart, Safeway. If I see a soldier in uniform. I stop and shake his hand and say, thank you for your service. And you wouldn't believe the smile that comes on his face uh, and to say, man, I appreciate that. I was at, I was at Waterworks a few weeks ago. This guy had to be at least, I'd say, 80, 82, 83 years old. He had the, uh, the hat on that he had served in this country, that he was part of some group uh, in the military. And I went over to him and I said, man, thank you so very much. And I put my hand on his shoulder. <laughs> it's the little things you do. Yeah, and they're so appreciated, as you said. Absolutely. And uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it, we can sit on our couches, our lazy boys, and uh, and say, well, you know, that's all well and good. But what are you going to do to be a part of remembering and honoring the very freedom that you can get out your car? Mm-hmm. We're not on the streets in the Middle East where people's heads are threatened to get cut off right now. You can get out your car, you can go sit on your front porch and and enjoy life, so to speak. Right. If you go to and and what uh um uh cemetery is that that's or is it Arlington? Arlington. Yeah. Uh cemetery you may I mean for as long as far as you can see there are graves there. The price of freedom. The price of freedom, the price of the things that we enjoy, uh, Lisa, in this country uh, every night that you're able to, uh, and, and, and Lisa, uh, my, my colleague, uh, is a mother. It's got to feel good to be able to say, son, go, you can go out the front door. Somebody laid down their life. We don't want to deal with that, but that's reality. Someone died for the very freedoms that we enjoy. And it's high time in America that we stop and say thank you. And not only with our lip service, Get our veterans off the street. Get our veterans back to work. Give them a purpose to wake up for. Right. 
I mean, that, that's just something, and that's my soapbox tonight, Robin, as we, uh, you know, uh, appeal to America. Uh, it doesn't take much to make a difference, and Colorado Springs Fellowship, Pastor Rose Banks, uh, honoring those soldiers every Sunday, and they come out every Sunday to somebody, and my mother, uh, 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 being a wife of a of, of, of uh, a veteran or a soldier that get, he, he, my dad passed away, but that what inspires Pastor Banks is what she saw herself. Right. She lived it for twenty and a half years. You think you think the the the, the veterans uh, do that time alone? I got news for you. Uh-uh. Their wives should have honorary uh, medals on their on their uh, on their lapels. Is that right? I agree. Wives uh, and children. It's, it's a hard hard road to uh, for, to hoe for the kids too. Really tough. They all deserve awards. And I I think that's the attention that we have to bring because, you know, a wife had to say goodbye to a husband as he went to war, not knowing if he would come back. I mean, think about that, America. That is reality. Mm -hmm. And we need to pay attention to that. And, and man, this is is awesome. Uh, uh, Cliff, as we get into into discussion with with Robin, um, and and you said earlier how much you appreciate what she does – it, it, it feels it's a nice feeling in here tonight. As we, I think more people need to do what we're doing, Cliff, and, and that is to take a moment and recognize our veterans and recognize the challenges this country faces right now in fixing that problem. How important is that, Cliff? Absolutely. I mean, the the thing that uh, the only way change happens is for somebody to step up and do something. I mean. We all can look at wrong being done and, you know, walk away, walk on the other side of the road, uh, ignore it or whatever. But if everybody just did something, I mean, there's, the old saying is, if you can do for yourself, you can do for somebody else. And well, it's from a from a song. And, and, and another part of that song says it doesn't cost very much. I mean, to see a person hungry, especially a veteran, to say, you know, can... Can I can I buy you a sandwich? Can I get well, you yeah. a cup of coffee? Can I give you a five dollar bill or something? If everybody said that you know I'm going to try to help somebody that I see that uh, you know maybe down and out or, or need something, then what a, what a, what a better place that the world would be? But when it comes well, to veterans, to know to say you served our country and you're in need. There's just something that says, you know, hey, there's just this little bit that I could try to pay back because everybody doesn't want to be a soldier. Everybody does not want to put their life on the line. But for those, especially the ones who volunteer, to say, I will go to war, I will put my life on the line, I will leave my family, my country, and with hopes that I come back. But if I don't, that's okay with me wow. because this is what I signed up for. That's awesome. And when a person does that, the the least that we can do is you know say thank well, you for your service or you know you find them in a bad position and try to help them out. And Robin, your thoughts on that? Well, I was just thinking as you guys are talking, you know, really emphasizing that each one of us can do something, even if it's for one person. And I think I think that's that's so key because with so many of our our big social issues, you can be so overwhelmed. You know, there's so much to be done, but. If we just do one at a time, there's this whole story I won't go into about a starfish and one man throwing a starfish into the ocean. It's the one at a time thing, and cool. and that's how things get done. We don't have to pass. We do have to pass major legislation. Don't get me wrong, but if each one of us did something for one person, what a difference that could make. 
Oh, absolutely. And people people tend to sit back and think, well, somebody else is handling it. Right. But right. each person should be involved. And uh, we're going to play a clip, uh, Robin, and is dealing with the challenges facing our veterans. We're going to get your thoughts and also the thoughts of our honored guest in the studio tonight, Norman and Eugene. Let's take a listen to what it has to say. For American soldiers returning from the wars abroad, the issue of veterans unable to transition back to civilian life has become a growing problem. The brutal and traumatic experiences of war linger long after these soldiers have returned home. And studies show that if left untreated, it could have dire consequences. The mental and physical changes that occur as a result of service leave men and women struggling to reconnect with family, interact in social settings and find employment in fields outside the military. According to the Department of Defense Task Force, every day one U.S. soldier commits suicide. While there are programs in place to help the soldiers cope better with their problems, they may not be enough. Veterans are now demanding from the government more treatment options, more benefits, and more assistance to aid their transition. They believe that their commitment to their country and their sacrifices warrants more recognition and care than they are currently receiving. Many veterans are also joining advocacy groups to raise public awareness on their issues. The Department of Veterans Affairs reports that 47% of veterans seek services at their offices. Of those, nearly half seek mental health care. This includes two major categories, post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. Moreover, 4% of the Pentagon's $53 billion annual medical bill is allocated to mental health. And there you have it, folks of America. If you're wondering what challenges face America, uh, though what she's stating there is, is one of them. Uh, and that's the challenges coming back, transition. It's amazing and it's ironic that they use the word reentry, uh, which with the same terminology we use for prisoners getting out of prison, is that they reenter into society. Uh, Robin, your thoughts on that and what steps do we take now? going forward to address those issues. One of the things that that we're doing and what we need to do more of is uh, really work with the colleges. Uh one of the one of the challenges that I've seen with with people trying to get jobs when they come out to help with that transition and really get back into society, um civilian society is that there are some jobs available, but either they um are calling for an education that these these folks don't have or they're asking them to move. I mean, there's a ton of jobs in Alaska, but you have to be willing to move to Alaska. Um, so what we need to do is really help with the transition to college because they do have a great post-9-11 GI Bill. I mean, it's the best GI Bill ever. Um, so there's funds for school, but sitting in a classroom with 17- and 18-year-olds coming right out of high school and, you know, the most important thing they've had to deal with is maybe their face is breaking out and they want to date. Uh, I don't mean to be flippant, but, you know, maybe they haven't dealt with some serious life issues. A lot of these folks, it's just hard for them to even sit there. They're coming back from seeing horrendous things, maybe doing horrendous things, and now these things that they're learning in school just don't have the same relevance to them. So we need, there are counseling centers in, in the colleges, but we need to do more of an outreach to help folks stay in school so they can get those better jobs and make that transition more seamless. 
Well, you know what? That's where it starts with our young people, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's where sure it starts. Does. Education, and this is a figure that is very troubling to me. And it's an article. Uh, the Washington Times writes: Veteran suicide estimate of twenty-two per day. Yep. Twenty-two people a day, veterans, mm-hmm. take their life. That is. That's alarming, and it goes further to say that what some researchers say is the average number of U.S. service uh, veterans who take their lives every single day uh, is something that needs to be looked at, that needs to be addressed. Uh, Norman, when you hear that figure, 22 people, 22 of your comrades, they're your comrades, die a day Taking their life. What does that make you feel? Um, it's alarming. Um, I agree with Robin. More has to be done. Uh, I was thinking as she was speaking that uh, in the latter 60s, uh, early 70s, there used to be a program that they had. If you was going to uh, ETS, uh, get out the military, there was a program that they had where if you had some kind of job you wanted to do, you could actually go to that company and work with them for six months to a year before you got out so you could learn that job. But then the military got away from that. Um, And I think just before I got out, they had a little of it because I think one of the guys, there's a guy I know, um, he drove, uh, uh, actually I think that's how he got his commercial driver's license because he trained uh, driving the larger buses and things in the military before he got out. But they totally got away from that. And what I see now when I go out is they have they are training some of the soldiers for for certain jobs, but it's a lot of uh, classroom stuff. It's not hands on. Right. Everybody is not uh, not uh, what's the word? Everybody is not a classroom person. Sure. Some guys are more hands on, uh, and and I and and I think I know Dennis and and Eugene can attest to this. There was a lot of guys that was actually put out of the military because they couldn't pass tests. Well, but they were some of the better soldiers that you had. Sure. So hands-on to me is great, but you gotta uh, you gotta have that program, and we don't have it. And we're gonna we're no, gonna I'm speak. Sorry. Go ahead, Robin. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that would be excellent. But then they also, um, like you were saying, you know, with previous years, they have to match them up with jobs. The training is wonderful, but they have to know that they have a job to go to that there's something there for them at the at conclusion of their training. And, Eugene, your thoughts on the 22 veterans a day that are taking their lives? I think it's a tragedy to see stuff like this happening because these, these soldiers, they put their lives on the line, and somebody is not reaching out and recognizing these, these uh, I don't know, they, they just like, I don't know, just like point to whatever they want to, the, the soldiers want to do, but... Nobody is listening or paying any attention to them. They just let them go on out to be on their own, and no one is reaching out to these people. Yeah, that's a major problem. And, uh, uh, Robin, I'm sure that what you see in your work, uh, which is critical, is the lack of self-esteem. Yeah, that's an excellent point, you know, because even though, um, you know, the statistics are very high, but they can be a little misleading in that, it's not all combat-related trauma that's causing, you know, those those sure. high statistics. Oh, families fall apart, and 
um, relationships, I'm finding the, the, the falling apart of the family is one of the biggest contributors. Mm. Um, you know, people are gone, they come back, and they can't reintegrate into their own families, let alone into, you know, larger society. Um, people have moved on sometimes, or uh, the families learn to get along quite well without them. And they're having a hard time now finding their role. So there's a lot of factors. Combat is certainly a huge one, but there are a lot of other factors that that we don't talk about that that contribute greatly to that statistic. No, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's it's the collateral consequences, if you will, the collateral damage of of the situation America faces with our veterans. These are collateral damages, and it. It is a a number of things, as you say, Robin, that contribute to those numbers. And what are we doing to address those contributing factors to bring about change? Robin, we're coming right back after the break. We're going to let you give your closing thoughts to America and to our our esteemed guest, Norman Bowden, 22 years. Eugene Austin, 20 years service to the United States of America, Armed Services. And uh, we're going to come back with their closing thoughts as we conclude This segment of the program on the other side of this break, America's veterans left behind. We have to reach out and make a difference. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio. We'll be right back. have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855- 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers 
across the land. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. And this morning, Secretary McDonald is facing a new challenge. It comes after last summer's scandal at a Phoenix VA hospital, which rocked the Department of Veterans Affairs. CBS News investigations revealed widespread manipulation of appointment wait times. Now, CBS News has uncovered similar mismanagement within the Veteran Benefits Administration. Wyatt Andrews is in Washington with our investigation. Wyatt, good morning. Good morning. You know, the veterans benefit side of the VA pays out $95 billion a year. That's in disability benefits, pensions, and even the American flags that veterans receive at their funerals. But our investigation has found widespread mismanagement of those claims, resulting in veterans being denied the benefits that they've earned, with many veterans dying before the VA gets around to answering the claim. Why would they take 10 years to send me a letter? Dory Stafford says this letter, obtained by CBS News, shows how badly the VA claim system is broken. It's dated July 29, 2014, thanking Dory's husband Wayne, an Army veteran, for the disability claim he filed in July of 2004. That decade-long delay is just one problem. The other is that Wayne Stafford died in an accident seven years ago without hearing a word from the VA. And now this, does this upset you? Why would you suddenly, after all these years, send a letter to a dead man? Five whistleblowers at the Oakland, California Veterans Benefits Office tell CBS News that Stafford's claim is one of more than 13,000 informal claims filed between 1996 and 2009, all of which were stashed in a file cabinet and ignored until 2012. Informal claims are letters from veterans expressing a desire to apply for benefits and by law the VA must respond with an application. We were getting letters from elderly veterans and for widows who were literally at their end of their life begging for help. Rusty Ann Brown was part of a team finally assigned to process those claims two years ago and the job began, she says, with a disturbing discovery. Half of the veterans were dead. That I screamed. So almost every other piece of paper that I touched was a veteran who had already passed away. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt. We also have in our presence, if you will, 
and I use the improper terminology, not the honorary veterans, but the honorable veterans. Norman Bowden, 22 years of service to the United States of America, 20 years to Eugene Austin, and uh, we are very privileged to have you uh, with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, not only those special folks, but a special young lady making a difference across the country, helping veterans and families, and it doesn't get better than that. I believe she deserves a halo, and that's for Robin, Robin Grant. And she's joining us back uh, on AJC Radio. Robin, welcome back. Thank you. Glad right to be in. here. <laughs> and then we appreciate you so very much. And uh, we're going to, if you can, uh, Robin, we're we'll going to keep you maybe another, about, about probably 10 minutes, and then we're going to let you loose. Um, and what part of the country are you calling from? You in California? I'm in California, Ventura, California. Okay. So, and you... you know, about 30 miles, um, 50 miles north of L.A. And how's the weather out there, should I ask? It was gorgeous. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's beautiful. okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, as I said, uh, Washington probably wouldn't like you too much tonight. Colorado with 37 degrees, but California oh. always beautiful. And uh, <laughs> you have the uh, the hard job of living there, but uh, yep. uh, it, no worries there. And we appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, Robin, uh, as, as I asked the question in regards to the um, to the clip, the VA scandal uh, that, mm-hmm. that really shook a nation, um, did you hear much talk? with some of the veterans that come into your office uh, in regards to that and what they're, are they giving their point of view of it? We're going to get it from our uh, veterans here tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. What are you hearing about that in your work? Uh, have you heard anything much about that? You know, not a lot directly because they, when they come in, they pretty much want to focus, and, and rightfully so, on the issues that they've come for. Uh, I guess the only things really related to that are, are the long wait times, which is, you know, often why they end up in my vet office instead of being seen at the VA, and, uh, you know, especially for issues like receiving benefits um, and services. So that would be about, that would be about as, as much as I hear. We, we talk about other things, I guess. No, 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 no worries with that. You're dealing with some of the important issues and, and that directly affect the lives of these men and families, and, and that's definitely a priority uh, without question in your job. Norman, uh, when, you, when you sit and, and, and hear all the things that we talked about, what Robin is doing, the Soldiers Project, um, what Colorado Springs Fellowship, Pastor Rose Banks, what they seek to do uh, into honoring veterans, what we said today, it t- doesn't take much. It takes a handshake, a pat on the back. A uh, candy bar, a Kit Kat snicker, uh, a cup of coffee, whatever you want to do to pass on to a soldier that you may run to at a Walmart or a Walgreens or whatever place of uh, establishment that you may choose to shop at. Uh, your thoughts of those little things as a veteran, if somebody comes up and says, Norman, thank you for your service, uh, enjoy the Kit Kat or the snicker on me, uh, how does that make you feel? Oh, great. Uh, I was telling someone earlier, I get more. Uh, thank you for your service now right. than I did before uh, when I was in, or when I just got out. And sure. and I've been out 30 years now. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden, everyone is saying thank you for your service. I think it's fantastic. Absolutely. And uh, Eugene, your thoughts on that? Well, I concur with, with Norman because I get a lot of thank you for my service all the time. Uh, military and civilians, wherever I go, once they find out that I was sure. in the military at one time, but I enjoy it. Because we didn't get it when I come come back from uh, from Vietnam. Didn't get it. Didn't that. get it, and not even when I got out. Wow. Well, it, it looks like at least the spirit of America, uh, of the American people, 
seem to be in the right place, and that is the honor um, uh, our veterans, and to never forget, uh, no matter what, what the what sacrifices have been made by veterans and their families. And Robin, and going uh, back to what you do, and and I'm going to give you an opportunity to get let our folks. And Robin, if it's okay, I'm going to get a hold of you. Uh, uh, offline here, uh, probably because uh, it's early there in California. May may hear from me a little, you know, tonight or tomorrow. Get some information. We've got some opportunities that may be that may interest you as we come together to bring this difference uh, to community. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. Okay, and we we appreciate that. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to our listeners. Give them how do folks get a hold of you? How do they get involved uh, in in helping uh, the Soldiers Project and and specifically what Robin Grant is doing? to impact the nation. Okay, well, I guess, you know, if people want to work specifically with the Soldiers Project, we, because it is an organization that's primarily organized around um, therapy, if you are a therapist and you're looking for a place to give back, definitely look us up online um, or give us a call. We're www.thesoldiersproject.org. We've got our applications on there. Um, And there is extra training required, which I think is wonderful because that's one of the things that I think makes us, um, sets us apart a little bit because we do get some good working uh, knowledge of um, what being in the military is like, not, of course, firsthand, but it does help. Um, and if, even if you're not a therapist, we do have other opportunities. So I would really recommend going on the website, going on our Facebook page, and, and seeing what is out there. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're interested in doing anything um, working with veterans, there's other ways to do that, too. You can go to the vet centers. There's so many ways to volunteer your time. Um, but you just have to do a little bit of research in your area because every area is a little bit different into what they have to offer. No, absolutely, and uh, and and the folks can get a hold of you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll have a uh, link at ajcradio.com and how you can get a hold of Robin uh, Grant as she continues to uh, to shape a nation and a future in the future of America and uh, the healing of families and all that good stuff. Robin, thank you so very much. Enjoy that rough weather down there in California <laughs> uh, from day to day. Uh, we envy you. I can promise you that. And uh, you've been a pleasure and a delight on this program. And, again, uh, we may even bring you back on. Uh, we always do veteran uh, uh, programs, honoring our veterans on this program. And if you're open to coming back, uh, you have a new friend in AJC Radio. Is that all right? No, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. And, Norman, Eugene, thank you for your service. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, Robin, have a good night. Enjoy some supper. It's early on the, out there in California. And uh, sleep well, and our thoughts and prayers go with you and your uh, your efforts, okay? Thank you so much. You as well. Good night, gentlemen. Good and night. ladies. Yes. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Robin. And there you have it, folks. Uh, Robin Grant, uh, I'll tell you, a marriage and family therapist, 20 years of experience for the last six years, working exclusively with military members, veterans, and their families. She has worked with the Soldiers Project since 2010. Uh, and I'll tell you what, making an impact across this nation, and I'm sure the families, uh, Dennis, uh, in that area and what she's doing, working with, she said, uh, uh, Congressman, uh, excuse me, Congresswoman there in, in, in D.C., uh, doing some good things uh, to try to bring about this change. Your thoughts on Robin's contribution to this nation? I, I think it's awesome. I think it's a uh, a step 
that uh, every every city needs to take somebody. You know, as long as we the 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 more people we can get helping our uh, veterans, the better. Oh, absolutely, I think she's doing awesome. Cliff, your thoughts on Robin? Oh yeah, I mean you it it just speaks to if if some, if everybody just does their part. And that's exactly what she said. If if people would just get out and say what I can do, I do that. And and mm-hmm. she and her organization are proving that that hey, it doesn't take much. I mean, for someone in in uh in trouble to have someone to talk to or someone in need to have them to give them something, that it really really makes a difference. And she has proven that with the veterans and uh, we commend her for, for the actions that she's taking to ensure our veterans feel like they are loved and supported. Oh, absolutely. And Norman, uh, any closing thoughts as you have sat here uh, and shared your insight that has opened, I believe, uh, Dennis, the eyes of a lot of Americans tonight uh, that feel a, probably a sense of obligation, of loyalty to give back to you, to the to your comrades. Uh, your closing thoughts on uh on, on, on the issue that we've addressed here tonight. Well, I just like to say I think that um, the uh, the work that Robin is doing is, is excellent, <clears throat> and I also agree with everyone else that if every city had something like that, there would be less soldiers and less I mean less suicides. There would be less homelessness, and if every city or uh, every church did what the Colorado Springs Fellowship is doing, there would be less soldiers out there without uh, someone listening to them or someone uh, saying, hey, I thank you for what you're doing or just showing a little love. That's what it's all about, is love. And if um, there's so many people that we run into or so many soldiers that tell us, no, I've never heard of this. Um, Are are you sure this is what you're doing? You know, I think it's fantastic that uh, that the church is actually doing that. And I I think more so, I'm glad to be proud to be a part of that church. No, absolutely, and uh, I'll tell you what, Pastor Rose Banks, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, folks, if you want to know where to go, where things are happening, not only in the church, but in the community, the reach out in the community, uh, Pastor Rose Banks has also initiated Let's Talk, uh, a forum to bring community people together to implement these changes in community, uh, a church that is not only talking the talk, uh, but what we said earlier, walk in the walk. And we salute Pastor Rose Banks and the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church as veterans' lives have been impacted uh, in a way they'll never forget. And, Eugene, your closing thoughts on that? I think the program is very informative. And for Robin, I, I think it's such a great effort that she's doing to reach out to these soldiers and, and just giving them uh, educational uh, sure. just 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 giving them something to reach out and touch her and, uh, and see how things work and and just helping them. Absolutely. And uh, and that's something that's awesome. Uh, and folks, if you want to know more information and be a part of uh, honor, Honorable Sunday, if you will, the first Sunday of every month where veterans are recognized at Colorado Street Fellowship Church, feel free to drop by at 451 Windchime Place in Colorado Springs, uh, Cross Streets, Whitman, and I-25 headed towards Rock Remnant, the Windchime Shopping Center. Folks, that is a, an event you don't want to miss. You want to see that as the emotion, uh, Dennis, as, as we talked earlier, the emotion of the soldiers, the tears, the hugs, to say somebody appreciates what we're doing 
and and uh, I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any better than what Colorado Springs Fellowship is doing. Uh, feel free to stop by there. If you got any questions about that, feel free to call 719-597-8800 as Colorado Springs Fellowship, again, gets involved with the community to bring about change, and we appreciate that tonight. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being here. It has been a delight. They say time goes very fast when you're having fun, and I can't believe we are close to the conclusion uh, of another AJC radio program. But coming up next on the other side of this break, what you didn't know about the IRP-6. Who are they? Who are these men that are demanding attention? They are the IRP-6. David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Dave Zerpolo. Folks, get ready as we expose the perpetrators of justice and talk a little bit more about the IRP-6. We're coming right back at you.
And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio as we bring the message of justice all around the world. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt. Uh, And we've had the privilege tonight of dealing with the veteran issues that face this nation. And uh, talking to Norman um, uh, during the break, he made the statement to us that uh, one problem facing the veteran situation, that when you go in, you have 20 minutes. You're on a time clock. And given the issues that veterans have uh, dealing with that, that is uncomprehendable. Dennis? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. No way can you get it all out. So you're five minutes over a regular mandatory 15-minute break, according (laughs) to the Department of Labor. If you go to the emergency room and you have the flu for the season, they give you more than 20 minutes before. I mean, how how do you even get... Any type of decent diagnosis in 20 minutes on a person. That's sick. Well, we needed to add that in there as we go forward. Ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight we ask the tough questions. We raise the issue that is easily ignored. What, what, what is that? The issue of injustice. The IRP6 are about six men that created software to keep America safe. Tonight, those men sit behind the wall of injustice. They are locked up in federal prison in Florence, Colorado, for a crime that they never committed. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 starts right now. Who are the RP6 is the question. David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Dave Zappolo. Patriots of America, soldiers and warriors in the fight against terror. America said, we'd like to thank you and lock you away. Tonight, we dig into the issue of what you didn't know. What you didn't know about the RP6 story is that an expert witness with over 30 years of experience in the staffing agency business was denied the right to testify to solidify the theory, the story, and most importantly, the truth of what was going on with the IRP-6. That proves intent of the IRP-6 was clear to keep the homeland safe. This particular expert was not allowed, not in prior proceedings, in previous proceedings denied the right to testify on behalf of the IRP-6. After that was already agreed to, this expert witness got as far as the stand and was told to leave. Cliff, what you didn't know, let the people know. Absolutely, Lamont. This witness that you're talking about, his name is Andrew Alberelli. He wrote a letter to John Wolf, the U.S. attorney in Colorado, and uh, this letter was written months before the trial. So everybody knew that, and he was on the the, uh, witness list, everybody knew that Andrew Alberelli was supposed to come testify. But during the proceedings, like you said, when he introduced himself, the judge stopped him, took him off the stand, 
dismissed him, and he never got a chance to testify. Wow. What Andrew said in his letter to Walsh, listen to a few excerpts. He said, recently I sat down and witnessed a demo of the software, Silk Software, the IRP uh, solutions created, uh, that is being implied not to exist. Sir, it not only exists, but I believe can assist law enforcement with improvement of our country as a whole. This, this, mm-hmm. Let me read his credentials, who Andrew Alberelli is. He says in this letter, I've been in the staffing business for 15 years now at this point. It's close to 20. 12 of which as Remy Corporation's principal executive officer. I've been the president of the staffing industry user group from 2002 to 2007, along with being the co-president of the Oracle Mountain State User Group from 2003 to 2008. I've been a finalist for Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year for 2003 and 2004, and have been honorably discharged from the United States military. I've been a member of the Federal Bureau of Investigations, yes, the FBI, InfraGuard for almost nine years and have assisted the FBI in investigations of false network of candidates interviewing with staffing firms. So if nobody knows if somebody is trying to pull a fast one on a staffing firm, this man does. He goes on to say that he goes on to say that uh, I would like to show you that what transpired in this case is normal operations in the staffing industry in the IRP6 case. That is part of the excerpt of the letter. He closes in this letter. I mean, this this man has been a uh, expert witness for the government. So he knows how all of this works. He knows that this letter gave him the right to be an expert witness. Then he says in closing, I ask that this case be dismissed, as in review we see no activities outside the normal activities of operating a staffing firm. How is it wow. this person does not have is not allowed a chance to testify for the defense of the IRP6 and what you didn't know is that they pulled this man off the stand because his credentials and his experience would have showed the jury that these men did absolutely nothing wrong so well cliff i'll tell you right now that statement alone if i i'm if i'm a juror oh there is no crime here that's my proof I mean, that alone, take everything out, everything else with everything the case off else. the table. This is all you need. This man speaks to the intent and the honorable intent of the IRP-6. That's the bottom line. And and shows that the actions by the IRP-6 are normal. are normal business operations that are accepted in the staffing industry on how they do business with other business every day of the week. But Cliff, he also mentions in that letter... That um, if uh, if this if this case were to continue to move forward, that he knows of at least twelve other corporations in Colorado that wow. are guilty of the exact same business practices. And this because was, that's normal. It's normal business. And this was written to the U.S. Attorney. Yep. John got Walsh his, got his name on it right there. John Walsh. This was written to him. Matthew Kirsch during the trial when they pulled Andrew Alberelli off the stand presented this letter to Judge Christine Arguello. So she knows wow. this, letter, this letter came th- like three months before the trial. Well, listen to this very carefully. This letter could have been used as evidence for the jury to review. And I guarantee you no conviction. Guarantee you. If I'm a juror that sees this letter, 
reasonable doubt is all over the place. Oh, yeah. All your questions go out the window. Oh, wait a minute. The question, what, what did they mean by what they were doing? What was their intentions? Did they set out to defraud? This letter puts all of that nonsense to rest. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. How many hands did this letter go to? Did it pass through and was ignored? Uh, I would believe that Judge Arguello, she had to see it. Yes, she did. John Walsh, U.S. Attorney John Walsh, was addressed to him. His pawn, Matthew Kirsch, he saw it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the injustice in which we fight against. This is the violation of law. This is undue process. This is the violation of the Constitution of the United States. And you step into a courtroom. I said it once. I'll say it again. Disparity runs rampant in this country. And it continues to do so until we say it is enough. Perpetrators of justice. This is the title that these perpetrators deserve. You're not an administrator of justice. You are a perpetrator of justice. Lisa, who are they, please? Excuse me, that doesn't make sense. Who are they? Please let the people know. We have U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Varnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfield, Attorney Mark Garrigo, Susan Holland of ETI Professionals, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, folks. You wanted that. Those are the perpetrators of justice, not administers, perpetrators perpetrating a fraud of justice. Cliff? All right, I want to say thank you to everyone in the chat rooms. All of your comments tonight were uh, wonderful. We appreciate all of your thanks that you gave out to the veterans. To Robin Grant, we want to say thank you to her for being our guest, taking a little time out of her evening to come and join us here on AJC Radio. I uh, want to say thank you to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions, helping out Ill Skillers Girl in the control room to make sure that you hear what it is that we have to say. And to our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. And to the truth. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cliff. We know you We never there. forget that. We know you're out there, truth. We appreciate it. And we do appreciate that. Folks, special, special, special thanks to the honorable veterans that graced our studio tonight, Norman Bowden and Eugene Austin, veterans that fought for this country and continue to seek uh, justice, really, honestly, in this world in which they fought for freedom. And as they have given their perspective tonight, we appreciate that. We thank them for joining us. And one part of the Soldier's Creed uh, says, I will never leave a fallen comrade. America has been found guilty of leaving the comrades in harm's way. We have to restore that confidence again. Folks, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, and again, feel free to go to agencyradio.com. Uh, take a look. Uh, all of our uh, uh, shows are archived there, including this one. Tell your friends about it, folks. AJC Radio continues to take off 
and we're not we're not tired yet. Hang in there, folks. Have a good night. For Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, we say a very, very uh, strong good night. And Lisa, you had something to say? One last thing. We want to, did you remind everyone to sign the petition? I want to give you the honor. Go ahead, Lisa. We want to remind everyone to go out and sign the petition for IRP6. If you go out to change.org, there's a petition out there. We're petitioning for these men to be released because they should not have ever been imprisoned in the first place. Go out there. You can read a little bit about, a little more about the story, what you, anything that you haven't heard already. Read a little bit more about the story and sign the petition and do what you can to help get these guys released. And look, folks, we need you to sign the petition. They got every, there was a petition out there. The craziest stuff, some of the stuff out there is, is very comical. This is serious. And we need you to go out there, tell your friends, Facebook, Twitter, President Obama, ask every person you know, every listener to this program, tell everybody you know, change.org, and you can just type in IRP6 under the search, and that petition will come up. We need your help. And join in with Hurricane Carter uh, Judge uh, H. Lee Sarrigan, who is seeking and asking for clemency for these men. And the RP6, again, every program is dedicated to them. David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Dave Zappolo. We search for justice. Let's do it together. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. We begin with new information tonight, though, on just how long veterans are forced to wait to get medical care. Thanks for choosing us. I'm Steve Irvin. And I'm Katie Rammel. The disturbing results were released just a few hours ago, and they show at least 10% of vets have to wait a month or more to get an appointment at the VA. That's more than twice the number the VA reported last week. And as the truth slowly starts to come out, a Valley veteran says he could have died waiting for help. Sarah Goldenberg has this veteran story in an ABC 15 exclusive. And Sarah, he says the VA turned him away, and the timing was crucial here because he says it was right before he had a heart attack. Right. Well, Jim Gowan says he could have died at the New Gilbert VA clinic if he had waited to be seen by a doctor. Now, he says his wife's quick thinking and care at a private hospital saved his life. A routine trip to the VA clinic in Gilbert. My chest would start hurting, and it was just felt like a pressure because someone would squeeze my chest. Turned into something much more serious for 54-year-old Jim Gowan. My arms felt like they weighed 500 pounds. They were just burning on the inside of my arms. Jim described his symptoms to the nurse. He says she directed him upstairs to a waiting line. He says, well, you should just, you know, just get in your car and drive to VA. He says, the Phoenix VA will take care of you right away, take you in. Here, you're going to wait three or four hours. And I mean, I can't wait three or four hours. Jim says he heard the same thing several times. So his wife, Jenny, stepped in. I was like, come with me. We're getting in the car. We're going to the hospital right now. We didn't make it to the first light, and the heart attack, everything hit me full blast. And I basically went down. After emergency surgery at Mercy Gilbert, Jim found out just how lucky he was to be alive. It was 99% blocked. I wouldn't have made it. And basically, I would have waited any longer, but I would have made it. If they had waited at the clinic or started driving to the Phoenix VA, the Army veteran with 27 years of service has no doubt he wouldn't be here. My concern is they didn't even have courtesy to look at me. All these nurses walking around, all these people in that facility, no one took the time to say, hey, wait a minute, time out. This guy, there's something wrong. Jenny can't even think about the what ifs. We have five children, um, nine grandchildren, and for them to lose their grandpa and their father and for me to lose my husband is just not thinkable. 
Now, the Phoenix VA says it does not talk about specific cases of care out of respect for veterans' privacy. It says outpatient clinics refer patients to the nearest emergency room or to call 911 during medical emergencies. Now, the Gallons plan to file a, um, a complaint with the Inspector General, and I can tell you, KDMC, that that clinic in Gilbert has just been open for about two months now. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Sarah.